Today, I want to talk to you about love, which should be interesting to you, uh, because all of you should want to be loved, and all of you should want to love somebody. Um, and today, I want to talk about that because tonight, uh, we have the opportunity to have some good questions. Uh, tonight, uh, the young men, uh, if you would, meet me and um, a panel over at Lecture A, and you can ask anything you want about love, dating, and things like that. Um, and the young ladies, if you would, at 7 p.m., meet over at the Davis uh, Room, and we have an amazing panel with very wise women to uh, answer your questions there. Um, so please take advantage of that. Um, if there's a question that has been on your mind, ask it. It's anonymous. You can ask anything you want. And we have great uh, wise people to help you. Because the whole idea of love is very difficult to understand in the world you live in. Uh, many of you have grown up listening to music that tells you what love is. You have watched movies that has told you its version of what love is. You have had your own experiences that makes you think uh, that maybe that's what love is. Um, every Really sad speech starts with someone saying, according, according to Merriam-Webster. So here we go. According to Merriam-Webster, love is defined as a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. Gandhi says that love is a force that is the same force that is found in the soul or in truth. I don't know what that means. Um, Ambrose Bierce says love is a temporary insanity curable by marriage. It's a little cynical there. Frederick Nietzsche says there is always madness in love, but there is also always some reason in madness. I think I understand that better than the Gandhi one. And then we have Robert Frost, who says love is an irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. He's a poet, so they talk that way. And then I couldn't resist Nicholas Sparks, and shame on you if you know who he is. Uh, he wrote this, love is like the wind. You can't see it, but you can feel it. Isn't that terrible? He's a terrible writer. All right, but that's why you get a, uh, a good liberal arts education, so you know that that's bad writing. Okay. As we look at scripture, we know that 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight, which is what everyone wants to be read at their wedding, says something like this, uh, love is patient, it's kind, it's not envious, not self-promoting, in other words, it gives, not proud, it behaves properly, 
It seeks the better for, for others other than themselves. It's not easily angered. It gives benefit of the doubt. It hates sin. It loves truth. It believes, it hopes, and endures, and doesn't fail. Is that what love is? Is it this combination of things that if I can do this combination of things, I have love? What I want to propose to you today is, uh, by the end of this, my hope is that you will know what love actually is, and you will know what it does. Oftentimes when I ask a class what love is, they tell me great things uh, like 1 Corinthians 13, about patience and kindness and sacrifice and all those kinds of things. But what we find, that's actually what love does, right? When it says love is patient, it's showing you what love does. The fruit of love is patience. It's kindness. Now, Patience and kindness is kind of a concept, right, that we can participate in. I can be patient but not love you, right? I can participate in this thing called patience. And you can be patient, I can be patient, but we can do that without love. But patience is something that is produced when you have love. I think many of us believe that love is also a concept. And so anybody can love if they just understand what love is, if they just understand the concept, love. And the concept is being really nice, it's being really patient, and it's putting others before yourself, and it's being sacrificial. And if I can do those things, then I'm participating in the concept, love. And therefore, anyone can do it if they, if they do those things. If you would, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. What's interesting about 1 John is that uh, it is a book about God's holiness and how we need to be holy like him. And there seems to be a crescendo here in, verse, in chapter 4 about what it means to be holy. And it's talking about love. If you look at 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that, that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son unto the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What we see here. I want you to look at, um, at verse 8, that love is not a concept. Love is a person. God is love. Now, I don't have time to go in the theological depth to help you understand that God 
is not a God of parts. He is not made up of love and justice and all these different parts that make him up. He is what we call in the theological world simple. In other words, he is identical to his attributes. He's not a sum of his attributes. He's identical to them. So he doesn't contain love. He is love. He doesn't contain righteousness. He is righteousness. He is holy. Having said that, what John wants us to understand about love is that it's not a concept everyone gets to participate in. It's a person, and if you have that person, then you have love. So when we, when we ask the question, what is love, we say love is the person of God. It is who he is. And if you have God, then you have love. Now, love does things. In fact, love sacrifices. And so to demonstrate God's love, he demonstrates it or manifests his love toward us by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So that's a big theological word, propitiation. How many know what propitiation means? Let me see your hands. Nice. You guys have been going to Bible class. Propitiation is that taking on the wrath. Taking on the wrath. What does that look like? Taking on the wrath. What the son did for us was took on the wrath of his father. It wasn't merely the, the pounding of, of pain and agony that he that he endured for us, but it was through his father, whom he loved. And the father did it because he loved us, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And his son loved the father so much that he came for you. This was a demonstration of God's love for us and that the only way to have this love is to have God. But why us? Right? Isn't that what we want to know? Why did God love us? Because it says, you know, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. What we see is that this love is so powerful because it is his person toward us, if I can put it that way. His person is for us. And in his person, he is for us to the point where he sent his son to die for us. And we ask ourselves, why? Why us? And there is no answer. No theologian has thought of it. We don't even know why we were created. If you think about why God created, a God that did not need anything, the God that had all he needed, all he wanted, he was consumed within the trinity of the glory that he had there. He did not need to make imperfect people to glorify him. We don't know why, except that he loved us. 
our love is going to manifest or look different than his love because we love him because he first loved us. But we find later on in the chapter, we love him because he first loved us. In other words, there's thankfulness in our love. Now, some of that, for some of you, might, that might have been the boring part of the, that we were digging into scripture. Um, so to keep you awake, here's the offensive part. Thankfulness is how we are loving the Lord. In fact, at the core of our depravity, according to Romans 1.21, the core of your depravity is that you did not honor him or give him thanks. And from the core of that evil, all your other sins are the fruits of that one condition of not honoring and giving thanks. In other words, to love the Lord requires you, number one, to care enough about the propitiation to be thankful, right? How does someone know if they're thankful, right? Uh, many of you in, in here uh, don't have children yet. A lot of people in the back row do. but. Uh, up close, not so much. But one day you will have children, and you will finally see what unthankfulness looks like right before your eyes. You will, you will kill yourself trying to get this toy from some store that has the last one, and you overpaid because this is all they've been talking about. And... Finally, Christmas Day comes, they are excited about it for at least 20 minutes, which you learn later is pretty good. But after that 20 minutes, you will see that thing that you spend all that money on laying on the floor, being gnawed on by your dog, if you have a Boston Terrier like me. And so what you see is the care has stopped. They don't care. That is the manifestation of lack of thankfulness. So ask yourself all the things that you don't care about, right? Like digging out propitiation out of 1 John 4. Or talking about the fact that God loves you by his whole being being for you. It's not that there's a part of him that is fond of you. That's how we love people. It's not that I contain a part of myself that conjures up enough feeling for you that I can show you affection. That's how humans are. God, in his whole person, is for you. Because he is identical to his attributes. And in his attribute of love, his whole person is for you. Our response to that is either I care or I don't care. Those, that's the key to know whether there's even any thankfulness out of that. If I don't care, then you can know for a fact you're not thankful, right? If you do care, that's at least a foot in the door, right? Am I thankful? 
And what's so important about thankfulness? It is the manifestation of how we love him back, right? Now, this part of the sermon will only make sense to those of you that have Christ in you. For those of you that don't know the Lord, this is also the boring part, right? But for those of you that know the Lord, this is where you're starting to ask yourself, am I thankful because that's how I know if I, if I love my Lord? I can't love my Lord just by conjuring up emotion during a song or during uh, some kind of uh, movie that is a religious movie. That's not, that's not what love is. According to God's word, your love has a thankfulness component to it. That without that, the rest is just trying to conjure up something. And you can't fake thankfulness. You can fake a lot of things. You can fake affection. You can fake patience. I fake patience all the time. I'm a dad. I mean, I, I act like I'm being patient. Inside, I'm, it's agony. I mean, I'm imagining all kinds of terrible things. But on the outside, I look quite calm. But the question is, can you fake thankfulness? Yeah, you can go through some motions. And isn't that what the world does without Christ? Without Christ, the world is constantly trying to imitate love. Can they, can they be patient? Can they be kind? Can they be loyal? Yes. But without Christ, those components or those fruits of love are what we call arbitrary. In other words, what's the point of being loyal? What's the point of being patient? What's the point of being kind other than our culture seems to be fond of those things? But the minute our culture ceases to be fond of those things, why does it matter if I'm patient? without Christ. Without having God, you have only a shadow of love, but it's not really love. The only way to have love is what we see in verse 13. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, which is the whole point of having love at all, because he has given us of his spirit. The only thing that's going to make you care enough to be thankful is the power of the Holy Spirit to make you care. You can't fake caring. You can't fake thankfulness. And only through the power of the Holy Spirit is it even possible. Which leads me to this. If you're thinking of dating someone and it is hard for you to imagine caring about what I'm talking about right now, I may not be very interesting and I get that and I'm sorry, but when you look at the Bible, ignore me, look at the Bible and read those words. If that doesn't do anything for you, don't date. Young ladies, let me speak to you for a minute. 
please avoid men who, not done, (laughs) not done. Got to wait for those dependent clauses, people. Avoid men who think that they can love you without loving people. Men who just are annoyed at other humans in the world, but they like you. That is a sign of someone who does not have gratefulness to their God, because if they have gratefulness to their God, they're going to love their brothers and sisters. Because what happens if you don't have the love of Christ, if you have a young man, if you are, a part, if you are in a dating relationship with a young man who does not care about God, who doesn't seem to care about spiritual things, then he might be loyal. But why patient? Why not push you towards a more physical relationship? He'll be loyal to you. He'll, he'll have that part. But why be patient? In other words, what he will do is pick and choose parts of love that's accepted by society and reject others because he has no motivation to hold to the whole of the, love, the, the fruits of love. Avoid a man that you might be attracted to, but you can't see yourself respecting. Although he might be a very patient, kind, sweet little man, he's still seeking his own. He is still very selfish. He is like a child. Young ladies, avoid men who do, who do not submit to other men in their church. If you are dating a young man that doesn't take church seriously, break up. If for no other reason, just for the love of your parents, break up with that guy. Let me tell you what's going to happen. To a guy that can't submit to a church, you're going to see a brute in the home. He's going to ask you to submit, and he can't submit to the men in the church. Young men, stop designing a list of criteria for the perfect woman and start thinking about what it means to be a leader on this campus. Do not give excuses of, well, I'm not asking anyone out because, you know, you just don't understand the girls around here. Leaders don't come to the table with excuses. Leaders lead. Leaders care. Are you setting an example on this campus as one who cares? Are you one that can't submit to anything? Even the small rules that we have now, and I know you think there's a ton of them, but I'm old, so I remember when they were much, much more intense. And so, yeah, it's not a lot, right? I mean, some of us, and I remember we were the same way. 
Someone told us we couldn't, you know, we couldn't have long hair. The first thing you want is long hair. And we are willing to do anything to have it, right? Like I said in the ministry chapel, we're even willing to have mullets just to have long hair. It is not worth that sacrifice, men. Care. Care. Care about the spiritual, uh, the spiritual things we have on this campus, like chapel. Care about the spiritual attitudes on this campus. Guys, care about each other. Stop competing and love your brother. If you can't love each other, men, then you're not going to be able to, to love a woman because you won't know what it means to even have love for your brother. Young men, be alert. I want you to stand firm in the faith. I want you to act like men. I want you to be strong. But whatever you do, do it in love. Bob Jones University is, it means a lot to me because of sentimental things. But I think Bob Jones University means a lot to the Lord. And Bob Jones University is not a collection of faculty and staff. It's a collection of students in which faculty and staff serve. You are Bob Jones University. Are you going to lead? Is this campus going to be known for its love for each other? Christ himself said, the world will know you by your love for each other. How does the world know Bob Jones University? They look at our campus and say, those students love each other. Or when someone visits, do they hear the gossip in the, in the dorms? Do they see that no one's even looking at each other as they walk by? Are they seeing people sit alone at chapel or at, at lunch? Why can't we come along each other, alongside each other and love each other? Be a campus known for it because we love our God. Let's be known for that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, we thank you for a love. Although we cannot understand it, it obligates us to love each other. And so, Lord, give us the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.